so much for coming back. It's really nice to be back um, with our Connectal webinars. We've had a break during the coronavirus crisis. Um, so welcome to everybody who is joining us tonight and also to those of you who will be listening to into the replay. Um, it's been a break of three months, but it's great to be back. And we've got a fantastic uh, subject to talk about tonight, which is um, what we can learn from islands about creating regenerative economies and how islands, uh, particularly in the light of uh, coronavirus, um, are going to regenerate their economies, particularly if they're dependent on tourism. So for those of you also who haven't been on the Connectal platform before, um, Connectal is a group of different communities, all of whom are interested in uh, creating a better future in some way, whether that's my channel, which is about regenerative economies, or channels that are really specifically interested in the future of work. Um, so do hop on to connectall.com um, and you'll find all of the different channels there and a vast array of different uh, broadcasts that we've been doing now for a couple of years. So on with this evening, we're talking about islands and I'm going to first ask my two guests, uh, Desiree Dreesenar and Anna Pollock to introduce themselves and then we are going to kick off. Yes, thanks Jenny. Um... I'm Desiree Driesenaar, I'm from Holland uh, and I, in 2013 I became really fascinated with the blue economy of Gunter Pauli and um, yeah I got into regeneration like that. Uh, since then I've been studying a lot, I've been doing lots of projects in Holland but also in Europe and also in the world. Um, and yeah, at this moment, I'm an um, external expert for the European Commission on Blue Economy. And I, I really, I'm, I'm very um, excited that there are so many projects going on. And I see so many people being inspired and uh, sharing their stories and so many young people. And that gives me hope for the future. Awesome. I think I think we all could do with a with a smidgen of hope. So let me also introduce everybody to Anna. Well, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, and in uh, New Zealand or down under, a very good early morning to you. Um, my name's Anna Pollock. Um, I'm actually now back in my home, which is in um, the West Midlands of the U United Kingdom. Um, and I've been working in tourism in uh, two continents, really, for the last uh, 45 years. Um, the first half was in North America, in British Columbia, where I was privileged to start doing some of the early research there and being involved in tourism as it was just beginning to grow up or take off. Um, and then I moved back to Europe in the mid-1990s. Um, so I've worked in many aspects of tourism. But uh, how did I get to be so interested in like Desiree in regenerative tourism? And uh, frankly, that was because by uh, the last crisis that we had was the global financial crisis. And I began to see that there was a lot of research showing that that crisis uh, had in effect uh, acted almost like a punctuation point. It was another one of those shifts. And it was the Ironically, it was the beginning, I suppose, of a more mindful or conscious consumption. People were, were actually, again, forced to rethink a little. 
Um, what I find interesting in retrospect, given the crisis we're in now, is that after that, we had 10 years in tourism anyway of the most incredible growth. And now we, we are at another punctuation point, and hopefully we are also rethinking. Um, but like Desiree, I'm, I'm both, um, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm also a little concerned. I'm excited because I think there is so much happening at the grassroots level. People do want change, and we'll talk about the nature of that change this, this evening, I hope. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge amount of um, a potential for us to default back to that which is familiar, simply because of the depth of this crisis. Businesses are on their knees right now. And we have to respect the fact that uh, people need to just get standing up next. And then they can be a little bit broader in their thinking afterwards. So it's a, it's a great conversation to have at this moment, but we have to put it in that context, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think, um, you know, we, we have to be mindful when you're, when you're in, I think if you've ever been in any form of sustainability, you can look at a punctuation moment uh, 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 as an opportunity to change and shift systems. But you shouldn't, you should always be mindful that currently there is an enormous amount of turbulence for a huge amount of people going on in the world. Um, so, so we'll be thinking, uh, as excited as we are about the potential of islands, it, we'll be thinking about that context as we go through. Um, so, so let me sort of start at, at, a bit at the beginning about how I got interested in islands and I often forget I am from the United Kingdom, which is in fact an island, but I have always uh, have been fascinated by islands when I choose to travel. If I choose to travel, I choose to go to an island almost rather than anywhere else. And it was about seven years ago and I'm going to try and share my screen here. So please don't everybody fall about laughing that I went to a place which I'd always wanted to go. And here is me. Uh, in the Azores, uh, which uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Azores is in the middle of the Atlantic, halfway between the United States and halfway between Europe. An absolutely stunning and marvellous collection of islands. Um, and I was becoming really interested in the potential for a, re a regenerative approach to how we design economies at the time. And I was just becoming interested um, in the potential of, shall we say, place-based strategies and bioregionalism. And one of the things I remember really noticing about the Azores was a very simple Levada system, which is why I put that picture up there, of how the islands managed, right in the middle of nowhere, their, their, their water capacity. And, and anybody who's seen Levada systems or who hasn't, they're really narrow channels that collect all of the rainfall that comes down at the height of the mountains or the, volcan the older volcanoes and channels the water for miles and miles and miles, very similar on Madeira in the Canary Islands, down into the villages that are inevitably by the coast. And then each individual house has a plot of land where it grows its own, uh, that people grow their own food. And they have a really simple little flap as the water comes, comes down the Levada, they can lift, lift up a sluice gate and water will come in and, and, uh, and irrigate their, their particular piece of land. And it was so blindingly simple, it got me really interested in the potential 
uh, of what we could learn from islands as a contained space in which to look at how we would manage a regenerative economy. Um, so I, I guess my kind, my kind of first question that I'd like to explore really uh, to you both is, is what do you feel, you know, other than a very simple story that I've just sort of put across that inspired me, not that I'm imagining we're going to have Levadas coming down from the South Downs in the UK anytime soon. Um, but what do you feel we can learn um, from, from islands about how to create a regenerative future? What are your, what are your reflections? And Anna, I know you've, you know, you've only just come back from New Zealand, which is of course uh, a somewhat larger island, but nevertheless yeah, a regenerative I, I, leader. Okay, um, well, I think unlike Desiree, I don't have as much um, experience working uh, in applying my trade on islands per se. I've just come back from New Zealand. We'll talk about that in a, in a minute. It's a pretty large island. And as you say, we live on one. I suppose Australia is an island too, but um, you know we won't uh, get too complicated. Um, the key thing I think uh, about islands that we can learn from is is that they are, as you say, a contained space. So there is there is a very um, real boundary. The the boundary that may be permeable, as all boundaries are of systems in nature, um, but it does this this. Islands have a distinct sense of identity. You're either on island or you're off island. And what that does is it seems to me it gives islands um, a great sense of, of place. And very often they are, um, they're not so densely populated unless they get really big like the UK, but if smaller islands have a real uh, awareness of the interrelationships of people on, on those islands. So they're already starting to think in terms of in their mindset of interdependencies, interrelationships, um, they're much more visible. It's easier, I think, to see a community as a living e a ecosystem, a living system in a small island setting. Um, that's the good news. I think the, the bad news or the, the difficulty that islands face is that they are also, as a consequence, quite vulnerable. Um, the island, like the ones in the Azores, like uh, places like Bali, for example, which also had have, have as I think Desiree can describe from her experience, a fantastic similar system to Levada that you talked about. Um, they uh, evolved over a long period of time and were able to develop a system that was perfectly appropriate for that particular geography um, and develop some self-sufficiency. Um, but uh, islands, I think, right now in the globalized world are incredibly vulnerable. Um, and we'll talk, you know, I don't want to occupy too much time right now, but uh, the external forces of disruption can be much more uh, painful and disturbing um, on islands. So that's uh, from a very sort of um, conceptual framework. Um, the role I see of what islands can, can how islands can teach us about applying regenerative principles yeah i mean i think i think that that container uh, the idea of that container was what you know fascinated me because when i was sort of thinking about okay how would how would i apply a bioregional uh, a, a uniquely place-based 
regenerative strategy in any particular part of the of the UK because it's so built up it's so uh, particularly in the southeast where I live it's so commercialized and the the, the first, when the first idea came to me was that, okay, what if you thought of Sussex, which is where I live, as an island? How, mm. would, how, would, I, how would I think differently about managing scarce resources? And water is just as scarce in the southeast of, of the UK. Actually, it's probably more scarce than it is in the Azores because they have considerable rainfall. So certainly it was the idea of that uh, boundaried container for experimentation I think and I know Daniel um, Christian Ball who was going to wasn't able to join us talks about the same thing about Mallorca that Mallorca is just the right size for a, a, a bioregional experiment in that it's got a reasonable sizable town in Palma uh, uh, it is a, a reasonable size space that you can carry out uh, experiments or, or projects on that can scale and that you can learn from so that uh, that definitely I think was really you know an interesting idea to me and you know so how, how did you experience that Desiree when you were when you were in Indonesia for example yes well um, you mentioned Bali, uh, Anna, and uh, Bali is, I think, an example of an island um, that has become very, very dependent on external income streams. And I was asked on Bali to give a, a talk to the Green School Bali about island economies and about how they could uh, change it. And I must say that in the meantime, I was there uh, uh, two months ago. I came back to Holland from, from Indonesia. Um, and in the meantime, the world has changed, of course. And now I see on Bali from a distance. I can't be there to help them, but I see it from a distance. That people are trying to, um, yeah, to turn around things. And what they start to do first, and I think it is what you need to start to do first, is think about basic needs and uh, think about bringing them back onto the island and not be so dependent on imports. Be as self-sufficient as you can. And the Levada system is a very good, good example that you, you mentioned. But there's other things as well, of course. It's energy, it can be food, it can be... It's, it's the things we really need and how, how the more self-sufficient you are, the more money will stay into the system. I have been mm. on Aliero. I've seen a, a real regenerative economy on the smallest Canary Island of Aliero, which is part of Spain. And what they do now, they have become kind of self-sufficient on energy, on food, on water um, yeah. and what you see is that on an island budget of 29 million a year they keep now 23.5 million a year in the economy yeah. and that makes money because it's also it's about being an economy it's not only about thinking okay let's do some organic farming it's about how do you get enough active 
um, activity going on to really build an economy on. And what you see is instead of uh, getting the money, uh, spending the money out of the island, if you keep the money on the island, then you have money to spend on next projects. Mm -hmm. And if you then build the project with lots of synergy, you make sure that the waste of one project is designed in such a way that you can use it as a resource for the next project. Then you can get a kind of yeah, um, multiplier effect going, which also helps an economy. But of course, I really see what Anna says as well. We have to be mindful. There is these kind of things. I, I write about them and I explain them so that you can see what is on the horizon, what can happen. But at this moment, we're in this big storm and the systems that we have do not allow us to really make this happen in an easy way. So, yes, there is this, this big um, difficulty. How do we get through the storm to the horizon? Let me put it like that. Mm. No, I think, um, I think that's why islands are worth uh, looking at, um, simply because they show us, well, and I'll, as you say, I think the key thing is whether you're a region in Sussex or whether you're um, an island, the, a regenerative future is one where you have developed that capacity to flourish in the area that you're in, in harmony with the natural world. Um, so I think the key um, shift that we're going to see, we've swung to this sort of centralized control, globalized economy with money flowing all around the world, but not necessarily sticking in the place where it can do the most good. We, we're also seeing this phenomenal concentration of wealth in the hands of a relative few. And there was, we got to the point where the only people that could make money were the people who already had money. So that system was just simply not working. So I, I, I agree with you entirely. I think the, the first thing that any island needs to do if they want to be truly regenerative is to find ways in which they can become self-sufficient in the most basic of things. Um, and while you were talking, Desiree, I was thinking, you know, um, the, the, what is the primary energy source of life? And, the, and that is sunlight. And yet the globalized economic system says the primary source of energy is money. Mm. Um, so if we can start to switch our focus back to how do we make places um, run on the one energy force, and I'm not just talking about you know solar panels, I'm just talking about conceptually, the one primary energy source that's free and totally abundant. Uh, yes, we're extracting from the sun in the sense that the sun will eventually shrink and die, but it's not going to be in our lifetime. So sun is an abundant resource. And so how can we use the sun on our particular place as the source of energy and build an economy around that? And that immediately takes us to the production of food. And I think the food security issue is the key one here. It, it, it's interesting you uh, you mentioned that, and I, I, I'm 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 just going to dive off in a slightly different direction of, of food uh, uh, from food because I think I, I agree with you. Food is a foundational issue, um, but but you reminded me uh, when you were talking about um, the, the 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 free abundance of energy that we get from the sun of an, a story about an island off 
Denmark, uh, which belongs to Denmark, called Samsø, um, which I think it was about 15 years ago. Um, there, there was a single chap, uh, I, I can't remember his name, but I'll, I'll put some links in the in the chat box later, um, who was a vegetable farmer, um, curiously enough. So he was he was already linked to the land. And um, he won a contest, I think, to uh, to run a project to make his the entire island uh, um, a, a sort of um, I think it was in the Kattegat in the Kattegat Sea uh, car carbon in independent, so a, a, an oil free economy about 15 years ago, and it took him 10 years to achieve it. Um, and one of the key pillars of the ways that he did it was actually by involving the entire community in, of the island in the ownership of uh, all of the energy companies and food companies that, that that's the way that they transform the island. So they set up community energy solar uh, farms, they set up community food uh, projects that all of the locals could buy into and could own. Uh, and that was one of the key pillars, if I remember the story correctly, uh, of how they actually managed to transform the island overnight by putting the ownership of what was going to happen back into the hands of the place. Um, so I just quickly, before I forgot that story, uh, mm. wanted to sidetrack, because I think that was a, a really important point that you made there about uh, ownership uh, from a place-based perspective. But I completely agree with you that food it is a foundation of a, of a secure economy and that's not the easiest of things to do on an island um you know I, I i think sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there i was just my mind was off on the the subject of of, of sam sir as a story can i um, can i enter a, a little bit yeah, no, Karen. um because i i really agree with this and and what i see on aliero what happened is exactly this ownership is really very important one thing they did they became self-sufficient on energy as well and they used five windmills and they used uh, water basins and a flywheel to to uh, balance it out when you had to prevent the blackouts and things like that but what they did they said okay when we have energy we can have fresh water as well because we're an island and if you have enough energy then you can also do desalination so they uh, merged the water and the energy companies so that they don't have different interests, which is very interesting, I think. And they also made the inhabitants of the island the co-owners of these companies. And they own a big deal because otherwise you don't keep the money on the island. So in the end, now that they are self-sufficient on water and energy, they can be much more important they can be uh, um, an agricultural island what they want to be fisheries and farming they've done wonderful projects on that to have sustainable fisheries with lots of overspill and things like that and and also the farming has gone organic in eight years time so that's really good uh, yeah good time frame that they did it and um what I think is very interesting is because you're an island and what Anna mentioned in the beginning, that you have this sense of place. Um, they made this decision, what kind of island do we want to be? 
and they had discussions with the people okay what kind of island do we want to be and some people became very fearful and didn't have uh, resistant because it was no longer a way of just building concrete buildings because there were a lot of builders on the island no we wanted to be an agricultural island so you can have this vision that you really are working towards something as a whole um yeah as a whole island and yeah one other thing that i think is really very important is also the um i forgot it'll come back it happens to me all the time when my, the, the, the threads of my thinking go, go, go all over the place, but ch chime, chime back in uh, when, when, you, when you think about it again. But, but, but I think, you know, I think it, even just in our conversation here, some kind of important pillars and pieces of learning uh, uh, about, you know, what we can take from islands if we want to build, if we want to de-globalize and relocalize and localize our economies wherever, whether we're on the continent of Europe or Africa or, you know, even a small part of the UK, there are some sort of key interesting principles, um, you know, that are emerging. Um, but I'm also really interested to, to think about and explore, given the situation that we're in right now, where so many islands um, have become dependent on tourism, um, particularly if they're you know, beautiful, warm, sunny islands, is, is how do they begin the process, perhaps, of shifting their economies uh, that that may not be so self-sufficient back to a more self-sufficient model you know i'm thinking particularly of somewhere like mallorca um that is hugely dependent on tourism uh, but that has been building small regenerative projects for you know more than a more than a decade and been experimenting with self-sufficiency i think you know, I remember a project with uh, the, 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 I call it, it's not a detergent company, Ecobear, who were, who worked on the island of Mallorca with Daniel, I think, to explore, could they change their economic model to be based, place-based? So could they produce cleaning fluids based on the uh, uh, rind extracts of lemons and oranges that grow on Mallorca to provide cleaning products for the island of Mallorca for tourism, for example. So it's been a, you know, it's been a, a great place for experiments. Um, but nevertheless, uh, even before coronavirus hit, with the demise of an organisation like Thomas Cook, that flew thousands and thousands of people to relatively cheap holidays on Mallorca, its economy was already in trouble. Um, so how do islands, you know, how do islands recover? What's the model to, that we can, we can start to perhaps build on islands that will help the whole of tourism change its model? What do you think? Anna, you're speaking, but you're 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 muted. Unmute yourself. I was yeah. laughing. I'll say, in Amer if I was an American, I'd say that was this real sixty-four thousand dollar question. If we could answer that tonight, why we wouldn't have to worry about our personal future? Uh, that's probably one of the most uh, challenging questions, challenging issues, because um, 
Never promised to make it easy. No, and why, in a way, that we, uh, we as humanity, uh, had to have this visitation from from a microbe um, to to uh, wake us up to the fact that what we were enjoying, and many islands were enjoying, was an economy that had no, um, how can I say, it was just plain unhealthy. So um, picking up what Desiree was saying uh, and what she saw in in, in Il Hiliero, if I pronounced it rightly, is um, the community ultimately has to come together. We all are in communities and I can't see the real change that we need happening until we're prepared to go into our communities and saying, is this working for us? What has happened to us? Um, and really start to open up some very difficult conversations. Because if we don't do that, um, I, I, for example, I think in a lot of places, less so in islands, particularly ones that are overly dependent on tourism, but in a lot of places, there isn't a real awareness of what is the source of the challenge, the problem. It's easy to say, oh, we just got hit by a pandemic. But how did we get to that point? How did, how did we have a pandemic? Um, why are we suddenly, uh, why is it that not a single tourism body, for example, and I work in tourism, had a pandemic mentioned in any of their strategies? I mean, none of us had it. We had climate change, we had over-tourism. Yes, some people talked about the potential for a pandemic, but it was never the idea that you could go from, as in happened in Hawaii, you had 300,000 people or 30,000 people a day arriving one minute and none the next. Beaches going from completely full to completely empty. And I don't think we can un, you know, understate uh, the amount of work that it's gonna take to get us to turn around. But conversations like this are a start. These kind of conversations, if we can help people have them in their, in their places, whether they're islands or not, is the first step. But um, because it's going to take a community to make choices about the kind of things they want to do and re rebuild. I mean, look at Mallorca. There are vested interests there that uh, probably benefit from maintaining the status quo. And perhaps they're the ones, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, who have benefited from that old system. How, uh, how are you going to open up a conversation and saying, you know, there has to be some give and take now? I don't know. If I had those answers, I probably wouldn't be sitting here tonight. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I suppose there are some kind of, some thoughts sort of, I, I think that are perhaps emerging around the different kinds of qualities or design maybe that is going to help bring those communities together to have those that those kind of conversations and you know in in my small corner of the world we have a a, a small town called Chichester which has obviously got its own tourist board with a very very tiny budget um, and uh, and like a lot of tourism economies it's it's I would call it an in and out economy so people come and they visit and they go away again and they don't really contribute much to the local economy other than coming and visiting and maybe visiting the beach and the and the town and and, and, and going away again so it's a day tripper kind of tourist economy which doesn't necessarily enrich the local economy so one of the things that you know one of the strands that uh, we've been talking about is you know how can you how can you look at a, a town 
or, or a, a, a region or an island and, and change the nature of the interaction between the visitors and the hosts um, by, for example, having more, um, I don't know what, the, there's a kind of popular phrase maybe that mission-led business or purpose-led um, visitor economies where there's much more of a learning experience and people are not coming just to take a selfie and go home again, but they're coming to, to learn something. Um, and they're coming to do more than just uh, take beautiful pictures and be in nature, but they're coming to sort of learn something about the ecology. So that's one of the, you know, kind of conversation starters that I have seen happening just in my own uh, locality and part, and part of the world. So, you know, I wonder if, if either of you have sort of seen, you know, and you're absolutely right to point towards community as being the base, I've seen other sort of ideas starting to emerge that enable those conversations and those communities to come together. Does have a chance? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I just remember what I wanted to say last time when I didn't remember. <laughs> and the thing is, I think it also, I, I agree with Anna that you need these um, difficult conversations, but they're made easier when there's a strong sense of urgency. Mm. And what I see, for example, in my own community in Holland, we did, uh, I live in the region of Venlo, and we did a, a Venlo regionomics um, um, project where we wanted to have uh, local businesses uh, really in a regional way and um, the sense of urgency missed. People do like to be involved in this kind of thing because they're interested or they think something needs to happen or they have this conceptual idea. But if there's still this, this non-urgency, then the, the conversations are more difficult. And I think what I see, for example, at this moment in Bali happening, the urgency is big. It's real. And the urgency is maybe even bigger in the places in Bali that have never profited from the, uh, from the, the, um, the tourism. Mm. Because there are lots of places in Bali that have never seen one tourist. It's like mm. they are on this beautiful island and they're still in very poor communities. Mm. So now they do see how do we get this island going without these tourists? And what I do see is that then people are standing up and saying, okay, how do we um, distribute food among each other? How are we going to uh, produce rice that's um, uh, also helping us to, to restore water cycles and things like that? And I do think that, that uh, food can be a really good way to build the, um, the big bridge that we need between natural systems and human systems. Mm. And if we go, one thing that makes me a bit optimistic is the big experiments everywhere on regenerative farming. Mm. 
because there are many methods. I, I don't go for one method. There's, there's permaculture or there's holistic grazing or there's agroecology or there's uh, the biodynamics. Uh, there's lots of ways to do it. But if you go for regenerative agriculture and you take healthy soil as the beginning of your food production, you will build a big bridge between natural systems and human systems. And uh, of course, sometimes they can be purely natural. You can also see, like in El Hierro, they have ex expediated, I think, they, they've made it quicker by uh, making terra preta, which is a very healthy black soil, which has a lot of carbon in it, a lot of uh, um, um, uh, charcoal dust, biochar. It is a human way of getting the soil to be very productive again and speeding things up which normally nature takes ages to do and still be that big bridge between the natural systems and the human systems and if you have healthy soil and like in Aliado I saw it happen in eight years time that the whole island was organic then you can have the next step in um, going for healthy water cycles you can build with the things you do uh, for example they chose a feed product like maralfafa and they feed their sheep and their goats with it and they have made sure that the gene pools of the goats are uh, better so that because on an island there's lots of inbreeding so they imported other goats more goats even to really get a good gene pool then you get more milk then if you add value to those products like milk and make ice creams and make yogurts and make and have very short supply chains so your farmers will be paid uh, a reasonable price and the added value stays on the island then you can have economies with synergetic products that you're making that people need and want and also the mindful tourists you can then invite them it's like aliero you do not have a direct flight to aliero and they don't want that you have to go via las palmas or via um tenerife but then if you get there um you are kind of invited you are a mindful tourist and you know that you are interested in the island and then you can help them restore their systems or you can buy their their organic wines that do prizes win awards everywhere so it's like you can really build an economy on that and still have tourists come in but then have tourists come in that really want to belong to your place for a couple of weeks and be interested in your culture and be part of it and if you welcome them then yeah you get cultural diversity and it can help you grow again i think that's a, you know that is such a beautiful story and and it also puts me in mind i'm not sure if uh, india has joined us of so one of the uh, our, our listeners who wanted to put a question and she lives on the island of jersey uh, which is the Channel Islands between the UK and France. And, uh, you know, Jersey has ha once had very fertile soil and very brilliant um, small holdings, um, but, but moved to a food strategy that became very 
that welcomed in international supermarkets. So uh, they, they became very dependent on imported food, whereas once they had been self-sufficient and um, you know, even going into the coronavirus crisis, they, as a small island, they have food sufficiency for about one and a half days. And she is running a project with uh, a collective uh, with lots of smallholders across Jersey to try and re-encourage um, food growing and food production in small holdings on Jersey and she operates a, a, a cooperative centre where people can come and uh, 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 you know buy food from multiple different smallholder suppliers so the smallholders can focus on growing food, regenerating the land, replenishing the soil uh, and she is just simply a place where anybody can come and buy their food from multiple different farmers and it started off as a small project but it is really slowly transforming the food purchasing culture on uh, on a small island so there there is no doubt that 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 regenerative approach to food is a primer for, for changing the way in which people consume and think i think about about food um, Anna, I, I can see that you wanted to say something there, so I'll, well, I'll get uh, off my mind. Just in, no, absolutely. Just in support of what both you and Desiree are saying, um, I, I think the one word we've heard a lot about um, in the last four, four two months is, is health. You know, health and safety. <laughs> um, and it's fantastic because really, um, to me, health is wholeness. Um, it's balance, it's all of the principles of a living system. If it's working well, it's, it means it's healthy. Um, and rather than, you know, you answered your question, how do we, how do we, um, how do we make this shift? How do we, what are the conversations we have? The more that we can relate them back to these real basics of what it means to be a healthy, flourishing human being in a community, where does our food come from? Where does our water come from? Um, are we dependent on external sources of energy or can we, you know, start to find ways of becoming more self-sufficient in that? On islands, I would argue food, um, food is critical. I mean, food security is really critical. And in fact, I think if you did a survey, you'd find most island economies can't last more than a couple of days at the moment with this globalized economy that that makes no sense because for thousands of years they existed year after year they were totally self-sufficient in food so what is successful about any kind of system that basically takes all that away takes that security away so i think it's about focusing on some of these key life-affirming questions how do we how do we come back to life come back to what it means to be fully alive and um, what do we need to do together in this community to improve our, our physical health, um, the food we eat, the water we drink, the, the way we interact, et cetera. And it starts from there. After that, each community is going to do it in their own unique way as they did on the island of El Hierro, as they're doing in Jersey and so on. Yeah, it, you know, and it, it is, I guess working with that biocultural uniqueness of place event you know when you actually come to look at 
what can what can this region be and you know answer that question um i can see we're coming up to sort of a, a quarter of an hour left so i'd love to go to some of the audience's questions and we've got um quite a few i don't know if we, we had a question from luis alberto of color education luis are you with us would you like to come on and put your question let me, let me just, I'm just scrolling. I think you are with us. Would you like to come on and put your question to the panel or would you like me to read it out? Okay, might not still be with us. Um, his question, which I think was really interesting, was uh, how can cities learn from what islands do and how can we persuade city key stakeholders and town key stakeholders to try this? Well, I would really like Sorry, carry on. I would like to say something about that because there's a very interesting thing happening in Holland where Amsterdam, a city, a main city, has adopted the donut. Um, donut, the donut economy. And which is a really good news, I think, because it is... Um, really in the government of the city. They have experimented for maybe over a year already with Kate Rayworth and her donut economy. And it's given them answers that are really wonderful. So um, what I would really think, a city has boundaries. And of course you need boundaries to have a, a kind of a, a sense of place. It's what Anna says, the sense of place and what do you want to be? And for example, in real estate and in the problem of housing in Amsterdam, they come to a really good conclusion, which is real estate speculation is really killing our city. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a monopoly game. If people uh, buy the big streets in the beginning, they will win, they will win. They will win without a doubt, which is a problem if you want to get people out of poverty and if you want to have housing for people who cannot pay so much. So um, it gives you a different perspective if you go for a donut model, which is on the one hand on the, I don't know if everybody knows it, but in the inner, cert, in the inner circle, uh, there are the global goals. So you see what the basic needs are of a city in this case or a economy and the outer circle is the planetary boundaries so you are calculating all the time are we staying within planetary boundaries well in holland we have big discussions now on nitrogen or on the the P, pfes in the soil or things like that and building is a problem because of it and farming is a problem because of it it's all these industrial things and this model will give you a lot of perspective on how do you solve these issues. It's the same for uh, they have the seaport and because they discuss it via this model and calculate things, they take into account that a lot of um, um, chocolate is coming into, a cacao is coming into the port, which has a lot of problems in Western Africa. Well. This is now discussed at the table in Amsterdam. Mm. West African economy is discussed in Amsterdam because it's coming into the port. Well, how can you see, because that's globalized economy, 
going into a city and still thinking in the boundaries of the city. And I think it is a very interesting thing that's happening there. And I really hope a lot of cities will adopt a kind of model like this to at least get the difficult discussions on the table. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you there. And I, I uh, just want to flag to anyone that's listening that Kate, I am on a panel which is called, uh, which has helped Kate develop the Donut Economics Action Lab, uh, which is producing lots of tools for communities and different cities to use. I'll pop the link in the chat box in a minute. And I've also been experimenting with the Donut but at a small village level in my bioregions in, in Sussex and getting um, village communities together to use the model of the donut to, to surface um, where there is energy in the village to take social or environmental action for good. And it's a, it is an absolutely marvelous model to, to facilitate and, and enable conversations. And um, it, each village is a little bit different um, but in one village it surfaced a real desire to be um, energy independent and they uh, went off to a local farmer and negotiated purchase of some land and are setting up a, a solar energy community company. Another village uh, um, was very keen to tackle the issue of food security and have set up, a, a, again gone and got hold of some land and set up a small organic food growing project for the village. Um, so I, you know, I completely concur. What Amsterdam has done is very complex because it has to be because it's a city, but it's a really useful model too for, uh, you know, a more micro community to have conversations and look at, you know, what are, what are we doing well? What's a, around us? You know, what, what surfaced in one village was their real concern that they were actually surrounded, their system was surrounded by intense farming. So crop spraying uh, all, literally all of the time, which made the air quality in their village or, or opening their windows at certain times of the year really impossible. Um, so they found a way to have conversations with the farmers and start looking at how those farmers could kind of transition away from a very heavy pesticide um, and fertilizer based system of production. So, you know, it, it really is a fantastic model, I think, that works for, you know, both cities and uh, and regions and smaller villages too. Um, so, Luis, I hope that's helpful for your uh, question. Um, we what, did what have I another really, question. Sorry. What, what I really like about your story, Jenny, one sentence is go where the energy is. That's really an important thing in the, in the community. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think you can't go to a community and impose ideas on them, um, or, and you shouldn't try. But what I think the the, the donut facilitates is, you know, it, even from a, from a really simple exercise by putting a donut on the table and asking people to use a traffic light system of dots to say, we think we're doing well here, we think we're doing poorly here, but we're really interested to take action there. It, you know, is is a is a great way of uh, of encouraging conversations. Um, we have a, another question from Katie uh, Boone. I don't know if Katie's with us, and I'm not sure any of us can answer this one, but I'll put it to you, which is, have you seen anywhere how regenerative practices have been applied on islands or anywhere else to health and human services? 
really good question but i'm not sure it's within our area of experience and knowledge to contribute to cuba so let's see roberto was saying something about cuba um do you well, maybe that's one for us to research and come back to everybody on and see what we can post in the Connectal community uh, community about. Was the questioner referring specifically to the whole healthcare industry or health in general? I, I don't know. It was the, the question was, you know, how have regenerative practices been applied to health and human services? Um, you know, it makes my mind goes immediately to Burtzorg in Holland, um, whether you would describe that as an organisation that has regenerative practices, but it's an organisation self-managed, so it takes inspiration from, uh, you know, nature's systems in, in that it is a group of nurses who self-organised into teams of 12 people and provide services direct to people who are unwell and at home uh, that would allow them to work with a single person rather than in the, what I understand, and Desiree, you'll correct me, the, the Dutch health system prior to that was one person who was ill and wanting to stay at home might see up to 12 to 20 different people for the different services that that and if you're elderly that is a really uh you know painful experience and i think Burtzorg as an organization has successfully um made patients happier and actually is is much more cost effective and you know, um uh, uh, more profitable than the, the health service by being uh, human-centered and human-focused in how it approaches healthcare at home. That's the only thing that immediately springs to my mind that when I think about that question. Um, I think we've got time for one more question. And I spotted a question earlier in the chat, um, which I thought was a really good one uh, from Paolo Alves, who said, what if islands shift their perspective from being destinations towards being local living economies. And I think that will speak to your heart, Anna. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think every place is potentially a destination for somebody, but what they are really is um, a local living economy. <laughs> so uh, it's really about, um, yes, I, I see where the question is coming from because right now under current um the tourism model is very focused outwards we have all of these destination marketing organizations that know far more about the people that are potentially coming to visit or trying to persuade them to come than they really know about the nature and the dynamics of the businesses in their own place so one of the shifts that we do need to have is one of orientation back towards if you want to use crude economic terms, the supply side, who are we as a community? Who are we as a living economy? And how can we flourish and be healthy? And that feeds right into what Desiree was saying in El Hierro, when they really began to understand um, who they were and what they wanted, and they were being true to that, they started to attract the kind, they attracted is this you know law of attraction in a way, they attracted the kind of customer who valued what they had to offer. And that to me is the secret and that's the shift. So your question is on the, you know, going in the right direction. 
okay did you want to contribute there i think everything is said on this on this part and one thing i do want to add um because we're talking about islands and at this moment we've talked a lot about food and about land but don't forget the sea mm. don't forget the sea and don't forget the fisheries mm. and also there I, I do want to to share a little snippet of of Aliado where they have cornered off part of their sea and um, made sure that uh, uh, only a few biologists can go there and for the rest it's just territory of the fish who can grow old there and lay millions of extra eggs so they have the spillover effect in the rest of the sea and then there's cooperatives of fishermen I think it's about 40 cooperatives on the island and they made the decision together to only fish with lines and no more with nets so they on the one hand do the spillover effect and regenerate the sea and on the other hand they take no more than they need and they really distribute that through the restaurants on the island and and you have really sustainable tuna there so also there i think it's very important uh, as anna said as well look at what you want to be and what you have available be diverse also we have nowadays everything is so uniform but diversity is is key and that's also what i have for hope of for example bali where they have such a strong cultural identity that the people might just have, find their power in that to really build their own unique island where people where then they can invite the people who really want to be there and enjoy their their really wonderful way of looking at the world i think that is a, a pretty beautiful note to finish on I think we have, you know, we've explored some really interesting topics. Um, we've explored the importance of uh, boundaries and the container and the, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, uh, con con containing an economy within boundaries. And we've talked about the importance of the biocultural uniqueness of place. We've talked about the importance of community we've touched on, which I think might be, have to be the subject of the next uh, uh, Connectal conversation for us, the subject of ownership, um, which I think is a huge one to explore. Um, you know, so a really rich conversation with lots of interesting ideas and lots more to explore. So I want to say thank you to you, Desiree, and thank you to you, Anna. Thanks to everybody who stuck with us for an hour. I think it's been a super conversation. And thanks once more to Connectal for always hosting us. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks very much, everybody.